This episode of My Financial Life is brought to you by the Alumni UBC Travel Club. Learn about the unique travel experiences available to UBC alumni at alumni.ubc.ca slash travel. From Alumni UBC, this is My Financial Life, a podcast mini-series about personal finance. On this episode of My Financial Life, host Kirk LaPointe, the Editor-in-Chief of Business in Vancouver and Adjunct Professor at the UBC School of Journalism, speaks to Amanda Butler from Alumni UBC's travel partner, Worldwide Quest. Today we're going to talk about travel, about managing your travel finances and budgets, and about certain travel hacks you can learn before you hit the road. My guest is Amanda Butler. She's the travel manager and expedition leader at Worldwide Quest, which designs and leads tours for a Canadian affinity group. She has a really long history in this field. She's visited 20 countries, has been leading university expeditions for the last four years. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Good to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Kirk. Hey, start start me off here. Uh, um, so I'm I'm getting going. I'm I'm getting out of here. Um, but I can't get out of here without a lot of planning. Where where do I um, where do I start? Where do you start, people? Yeah, well, you know, being in the travel industry, you can bet that all of my friends and family come to me first for the best travel tips. So okay. I'm always ready to deal them out. I hope you um, I hope you charge them some <laughs> kind of commission on that. I, you know. No, no, this one's for free. Um, so you know what? We're gonna get right down to the basics before you even buy your your airline ticket or, or book that holiday. The planning stage. Um, I always say it's best to give it a year out um, from when you're you're wanting to travel, and there's a number of reasons for that. Um, one, to save money. Two, to get the best deals. And three, you really want to you know plan ahead as far as flights go. Yeah, is booking early still a real tactic? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's all supply and demand. Now, whether that's uh, a resort stay or a seat on a on an airplane, it all just boils down to that supply and demand. So when there's limited supply, when there's few seats left, you'll see seat sales. They want to fill up that aircraft. Um, you'll see resort deals if they, you know, have a, a lot of rooms to go. Um, and so, you know, it, it's really a fine balance. Now, you could put yourself at a disadvantage if you're too far in a- ahead. Um, but I always say, especially when it comes to flights, the, the further away you are, the better. Nice. So when you talk about savings, I, I think most people would say, okay, of course, I'm going to need savings for my, I guess, my accommodation beyond my, my flights, um, maybe transfers once you land, um, mm-hmm. you know, food and things. But But do people often underestimate what they're going to need out there? You really do, yeah. Um, and there's a number of ways to travel now. You can do, you know, all-inclusive resorts, which kind of takes care of a lot of uh, most of the budgeting. Um, but there's always things that pop up, you know, added tours, um, meals out, souvenirs, you name it. I think that we always kind of go into a trip with a, a number in mind, but... Very few of us are able, once you're in that that heat of the moment and you're having fun and your inhibitions are down, you're more liable to spend money where, you know, you're not really thinking about it as much. So I think it's better to feel that. All-inclusive is not always all-inclusive either, is it? No. No. And that goes for a lot of things, not just uh, strictly talking hotels here. 
now we're seeing a, a rise of a lot of these budget airlines that have amazing flight deals, amazing fares, but then, you know, you get into it and you buy this great round trip flight for $600, but then seat selection, let's say another $100 on top of that. Um, baggage, now most airlines are charging for even your first piece of check luggage, which can cost you up to $40 per leg of your trip. So really there are some, some costs associated that when something says it's all included, it's not usually the case. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Do people um, sometimes take out a particular credit card uh, in advance in order to essentially qualify for points and a back and those kinds of things? Yes, I would definitely recommend that. Um, using the right credit card will go a long way for a number of reasons. And some of them you just mentioned, uh, travel insurance is another one. Yeah. So some credit cards include, let's say $1,500 of travel insurance on them automatically. Um, you have to look at, you know, foreign transaction fees if you're using the credit card abroad. And there's so many credit cards out there now that come with, uh, bonuses for hotels or even, um, flight rewards and, um, and, uh, Point, loyalty points. Yeah. So I think that, you know, doing your research ahead of time and knowing which cards will serve you the best way, depending on your destination, it does make a difference. Absolutely. So our Canadian dollar fluctuates a fair yes. number of cents per year against uh, um, other currencies. If, if it looks like the Canadian dollar is strong all of a sudden, is that is it a wise idea to go and buy the currency that you're going to go to um, and, and tuck it away somehow? You know, I always advise against that. And I'll tell you why. No matter what, whenever you're exchanging currency, you're losing money. So, I mean, unless the dollar is at a, an extreme high against the currency that you're, you're, you're where you're going, let's just use the United States as an example. Now, that's not going to fluctuate I would anticipate much in a year's time. So it's really, you're, you're playing a game there. And so if you wanted to, you know, if you have, if you took out too much and you wanted to change it back into Canadian, then you're going to be taking a loss again. So really, I don't think that you need to plan that extensively as far as the money goes. The credit card will go a long way. Um, and quite often too, I just recommend that our, our travelers just take a credit card with them. To, to withdraw, you know, from ATMs while they're there, if they want to, there's a lot of countries where you can't get the currency ahead of time. Um, and now with, you know, globalization and travel becoming easier and easier, um, I think that a lot of the uh, credit card companies and, and so on are, are becoming more accommodating to that. What kind of advice do you give people, Amanda, uh, around protecting your flight from say your own personal circumstance so you're really sick you can't fly on a given day but but you know you know that if you unhitch yourself from your flight it's going to cost you a lot so do you advise people to get the actual insurance against cancellation yeah i do i do i'm a huge advocate for travel insurance and it doesn't have to be the insurance that's offered with the flights that you purchase i know whenever you you book flights now or a hotel it'll automatically most of them will offer you insurance but 
you can look into, there's so many great Canadian insurance companies out there that can issue you policies just based on your travel dates that will cover not only your flights, but, you know, emergency evacuation should you need it, um, everything from trip interruption to lost luggage. And, uh, you know, you don't need it until you need it. And I'll tell you a quick story here. I uh, recently took my mom to Vegas for, for a milestone birthday. And being in the travel industry here, I have really good insurance. So I went ahead and, and issued insurance for my mom. And it was the first time I've ever had to use it. She actually left her passport on the plane and forgot it on the airplane when we got off in Vegas. And uh, we came to learn that if you do that, it immediately becomes, um, it, it gets sent back to the embassy, the Canadian embassy. So because I had travel insurance, it not only covered her travel costs to get a new emergency passport, but it covered the hotels that she would need to stay in because she was delayed in getting home, um, covered her new flight, etc. So, you know, without that, it could have been a very messy, chaotic and expensive holiday. So travel insurance, though it seems like, an, you know, an expensive, maybe inconvenience at the time. Um, it's always a good idea to have it. Can you at least credit your mother with raising you properly to know that you need insurance in the right circumstance? Yes, you know, she's learned a, a valuable lesson, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so you get now up toward uh, your travel and um, you've got to figure out things like your accommodation uh, and, yes. and whatever you're going to do in terms of activities when you're traveling. Again, uh, it's it's such a different world out there. Uh, we all know about Airbnb. We all know about uh, other homestays and home exchanges and hostels and a bunch of things. Um, what what kind of traveler goes to what kind of place? You know, it's hard to really generalize. Um, I think that you know, younger younger people will say twenty to forty are a little bit more ambitious in in their accommodation or adventurous, I should say. Um, whereas people that have done a lot of travel and maybe are a little bit older, they just want the convenience and the luxury of knowing they have somewhere comfortable and don't want to necessarily do a whole lot of research. So I would say if, you know, your your main concern is comfort, cleanliness, you want something consistent then go with um, a hotel chain, a Sheridan, a Marriott, something like that, um, and you won't be let down because, you know, it's always going to be up to a certain standard. But if you're a little bit more adventurous, I really do find that um, Airbnb and even hostels, which aren't as scary as they sound, those movies really did a, a number on the hostel industry, but, um, but they can be fantastic. I mean, sometimes you can get a, a room, a private room at a hostel, which is nicer than a hotel. It's uh, quirky. All of them are very centrally located in cities, of course, for backpackers. Um, you know, and uh, I would even recommend my parents staying in, in certain hostels. Um, yeah. so there are a number of different resources out there. So you say, you know, you, you would recommend this, you would recommend that. How important are online recommendations when you're selecting your accommodation how much how much value do you put in them TripAdvisor is a great resource for the recommendation um i mean it's uh you're you can easily see the credibility of the person who's left a comment mm -hmm. um and it's a good way to 
to see what you're getting yourself into. Um, so I think that if there's somewhere that has piqued your interest, um, always type it into TripAdvisor, pull it up, look at not only the reviews, but look at the photos that were taken by guests that have stayed there because all the resorts and, um, and hotels and everything, they will have their own photos that are beautiful. Um, but look at what the guests are taking pictures of and what they're pointing out. Uh, and that's a really good place to start. If someone's had a bad experience, though, at a place like one person out of, I don't know, 20 of these, do you, do you as a, as a travel advisor in this case, tell people, look, that's just one grumpy person. Yeah. I wouldn't, wouldn't make much of it. That's exactly it. And, you know, being in the industry, um, always with small groups, you'll have a, a group go on a, a trip and let's say 10 come back and out of those 10, two didn't like it, but the rest of the, the, the eight others did. That's a successful trip. And, you know, because everything is, is subject to, um, interpretation and different people have their own expectations. Um, but I would say if 20 people are raving about how amazing it is and one person saying, oh, I didn't like it, the food was terrible, then, you know, you really got a question. Yeah. Maybe that person wasn't, you know. Well, okay, so health is always a concern when we're, when we're traveling and because it yeah. takes a lot out of you. What, what do you advise people to do in terms of a little bit of self-care before they get out there? Is it a matter of taking shots? Is it uh, uh, vitamin supplements? Is it getting a few good nights sleep before you're going? What What are the things that you generally tell people to do? Yeah, absolutely. All of those things. Um, when it comes to getting shots and immu uh, immunizations, um, I find a lot of people kind of wait to the last minute, which I wouldn't advise. I would do that as far out as possible. And because if you're going to have a bad reaction, if it makes you ill, you don't want that interfering with your upcoming travel plans. Uh, so once you do have a destination in mind, go to your family doctor. You don't always have to go to a travel health clinic right away. Go to your family doctor um, and ask them. Let them know that you're going to be traveling, the area of the world that you're going, and they'll tell you, well, you know, I think you should go to a travel clinic. Usually with most places, especially in the, the westernized world, um, the vaccines that we have, our hap shots, are, are will suffice. Um, but, you know, if you're going somewhere in South America, Africa, Southeast Asia, it's always a good idea to, and also checking on the government website, the Canadian government website, they will, um, they will have up-to-date advisories on there of recommended vaccines mm -hmm. um, and just general information about the, the health in the country itself. And I guess you have to budget for a bit of this too, don't you? You do, um, not as much as you think. Now, one thing I would warn against is that some travel clinics can push things that you don't necessarily need, that being malaria medications and so on, which can sometimes give you side effects that can make you ill on the trip. So doing a bit of research goes a long way, and it doesn't take much. Just typing in the, the destination, this is another place where TripAdvisor comes in handy. Mm -hmm. um, and you can even ask other travelers out there who have done the trip recently, so, their experience. So let's spend the last four or five minutes here, Amanda, talking a little bit about the, the eve of all of this. Um, you know, nobody, well, nobody's even permitted to lug around a lot of luggage into the airport anymore. I mean, it seems like every bag comes at a great cost to do it. How do you advise people to, uh, to pack their belongings and, and live with a certain amount of clothes for a certain number of days? Right. Well, 
the rule of thumb around our office here is kind of a rite of passage that if um, that if you're going on a week holiday, you have to kind of get it all down into one carry-on, which I don't think is realistic for m- many other people. Um, but it can be done, and I've done it. Yeah. But uh, I would say a nice hack that I've adap- adopted um, is rolling clothes. It's life-changing. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, so you can save so much space simply by rolling your clothes. Um, there's so many great luggage options out there now, expandable, contractible. Um, so yeah, I would say that that's good planning. And, and over, overpacking is something that we all do and I'm even guilty of it. So I always pack and go through it at least three times. And every time you go through it, try and edit out at least two to three things. You don't need more than one pair of jeans. You know, you don't need uh, five different bathing suits, things like that. Not to mention that once you get to your destination, you're going to be buying things. So always keep that in mind. Save a little room in your luggage. Yeah, if you have to sit on your suitcase, you pack too much, right? That's exactly it. Yes, you pack too much. And always be aware of luggage, uh, baggage, overweight fees. They really ding you there. Yeah, definitely. So so last thing. Okay, so you're there now. Um, you want to enjoy the place. And obviously, you're going to soak up a lot of activities, a lot of sites and all that. But I think the thing that people find the biggest question about is, how am I going to deal with the food? Um, mm-hmm. Especially if it's cuisine that's, say, different than the palate we have here uh, in BC, for instance. What do you do in order to have the best food experience, do you think, when you're there? Well, um, I'll share a little bit about my colleague, Carrie, who has been in the travel industry twice as long as I have and doesn't like anything except meat and potatoes and fish and chips. And she spent a month in India. Um, And she got on fine. And there's many ways around that. Now, there's some of us out there that are more adventurous with our taste buds than others. For those who aren't, like Carrie, um, these are the types of people that I would recommend stay in the, the, the regular recognizable hotel chains which will come with Western food, food that you're familiar familiar with. It's possible to go a month in India without eating any India food if you go about it the right way. Now, for those of us who are more adventurous in our, um, you know, adventurous in our tasting of different cuisines, um, I would say, first of all, just to make sure that where you're eating is clean. So don't just go out on the streets of Vietnam and start buying street food, you know. Um, a good indicator is to wherever you see other travelers eating, that's a, a good place to, to stop. Um, so that's, a, that's where I would start. And it's always good to ask around as well. Most hotels and hostels and Airbnbs um, they will set you off in the right uh, direction for for good food. So, and then it's not to say that you have to avoid the street food culture altogether. Sometimes there are places where you know it's a known area for tourists to go and eat, but a little bit at a time. You don't want to go in and and just you know swamp yourself with all sorts of foreign food without knowing the effects that it's going to have on your body. So I'd say start small and slow. Yeah. The last question on this, and we'll back it up to the pre-travel thing, which is how do you avoid um, as best you can that jet lag 
that that can strike you a day or two, sometimes three or four days later after you've arrived on a long trip. I wish there was a magic jet lag pill. I really do. And, you know, sometimes I find it's worse with fewer hours time difference than the full 12 because your body almost has a full 12 hour swap. And so it's easier. Um, But there really isn't a a magic trick. And I'm sorry (laughs) to be the bearer of bad news. The best advice I can give you is just try and get as much sleep as possible as you can on this flight over. Um, and you know, if you're doing a red eye and you're arriving there the next to your destination in the morning, do your best to stay awake the full day until a reasonable bedtime hour, um, rather than taking small naps here and there, because that's just going to prolong the process yeah. and eating healthy. So try and avoid drinking alcohol on the flight, um, eating a lot of processed foods, you know, sipping tea, I find is a really good peppermint tea is my my little um, go-to beverage. It's calming, it's relaxing, um, and just eating light food as well. Um, I think it all kind of helps out with that general feeling of laziness at the end of the flight. Well, I know you said that there's no magic um, solution for all of this, but you just gave us about eight or nine things there that seem to... <laughs> I can't guarantee that work. <laughs> exactly. Amanda, that on. it's been great talking to you. You've given us a lot of great advice here on how to do this right, how to make sure that it's, uh, you know, you're, you're smart with your money as you go over, you're smart with your time and, and the way that you're going to spend your, whether they're vacations or just expeditions. Thanks a lot for your time today. My pleasure. It's been nice chatting with you, Kirk. My Financial Life is a production of Alumni UBC. Thank you to our host, Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief of Business in Vancouver and Adjunct Professor at UBC School of Journalism, and our guest, Amanda Butler of Alumni UBC's travel partner, Worldwide Quest, for participating in this episode. On the next episode of My Financial Life, Kirk will speak to Terry Tan, a BMO branch manager, about the topic of personal credit. You can listen to the next episode of My Financial Life right now.